0: Take me where you want me to go. Have me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say, and keep me out of your way. I'm Mike, and I'm an alcoholic. And if you if you don't believe it, there's some people in here that can tell you. <laughs> oh boy, you know, being up here is amazing all you hear is AA, and all you think about is AA, at least that's where I I wind up in that, where it's AA, AA, and I need that, because if I don't have it, this starts working, and man, you don't want to be in there, I don't want to be in there, anyway. God, I get so nervous when I have to do this, I just, God, who wrote me into this? (laughs) Yeah, anyway, you know, I I was 56 when I got sober, finally. I spent 13 years uh, putting my wife through hell, and why that lunatic woman stuck with me, I still don't know. But I was in and out for 13 years before I finally got sober. And one of the things that happened, I was in a rehab at the VA in Menlo Park, and a guy, the guy that was running the rehab stopped me in the hallway. And he said, Mike, he said, you know, you're getting too old for this shit. He said, change or die. Three words, it's all it took as I backed off of that and I spent a week thinking about it and I ran into him in the hallway again and he said, you know, he said, you gotta leave one of the counselors was a very religious man and I'm anything but and he said, you gotta quit harassing my counselor. He said, you know, he said, you have this God problem. He said, I think what you need to do for the next week is every night before you go to bed. This is a inpatient 90-day program. He said, before you go to get bed, get down on your knees and say thank you. That's all. No big, long prayers, just thank you. He said, when you get up in the morning, down on your knees, say thank you. I thought about that for a week, don't want to jump into anything, you know. (coughs) Which was different, believe me. And so at the end of a week I thought, all right. So I got down on my knees and I said, thanks, got into bed. Got up in the morning and said, thanks, got into bed. So it went on for a week. At the end of the week I looked around and I thought, damn, something changed. It was 26 years ago, and I'm still saying, thank you. Thank you, Mike. And uh, for our main speaker tonight, we have Frank.
1: Frank. <laughs> I did say Frank, didn't I? I got all my notes just for Richard make sure I'm staying on track. How much time do I got, David? Do you know? Two, two hours. That should do the trick. My name's Frank. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Um, I think I've been coming to this retreat for about um, 10 years, I think, maybe a couple more. I don't know. And uh, I love it, man. This this retreat is a big part of my recovery. Um, I look forward to it every year. It was tough missing it for the last few years, so it's really good to be back. See a lot of familiar faces, um, a lot of guys that I only see once a year, but they're touchstones for my recovery. They keep me going. You guys might not know that, but t- sometimes just walking through the hallways, seeing you in a chow hall, saying hi, just catching up for a minute, um, it carries me, you know, and it's, uh, um, I hope a lot of you were having that, that same experience. Um, so I, uh, let's see. I'm originally from, uh, East Oakland, um, on the bad side of town. I don't really remember much of that cause I was kind of, I was a little kid. My mom moved us out to Milpitas in the early seventies. And that's where I got into most of my trouble. Um, I didn't have any examples of drinking at home. You know, there was nothing, there was n- nothing that was like pushing me into like alcoholism or drug addiction or anything like that. Uh, you know, mischievous behavior or whatever, but that's right where I went to, you know, it was, um, I, I was a stoner and I freaking loved it and it was great. You know, uh, you just, you got to back then I could grow my hair long, man. It was great. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad, but, um, so, uh, you know, everything was pretty cool until I hit junior high and it was like, uh, started getting into trouble, you know, going to juvenile hall for doing stupid stuff, just being mischievous and, and, you know, getting into trouble. And, uh, it wasn't until I guess around junior high, I had the first real drunk, you know, where I really got fricking plastered. And, um, all I could remember from that experience was impressing those older guys, man, you know, those older guys watching me and slapping me on the back while I down those two glasses of black velvet, you know, and start, and then immediately threw up and passed out. And, uh, you know, but impressing those guys, man, was key to me. I mean, I humiliated myself that day. You know, I freaking caused the scene and it was embarrassing. But all I could think about was those older guys approving, you know, approving. And I basically drank like that, like that for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, uh, crank was a big part of my story. <laughs> Speed was a big part of my story because I just could not figure out how to drink right. You know, I just no matter what, I just ended up getting drunk, falling down, blacking out, throwing up, you know, it was just like, that's what it was all about, and I just couldn't get that until some guy at a party said, hey, you want to try one of these, and it was a crosstop. took that, and drank all I wanted, and by the end of the night, I was like, hey, dude, what was that, you know, and um, that changed my drinking forever, man, it just, it was, it was, someone said, I think Bob said, I had arrived, man, that was it, that was, I found my combination, um, And then, uh, and then speed turned on me and it was all I could think of, you know, it was just, um, I got to that point in my life where I realized that, uh, it was killing me. Um, you know, I, I made that, um, you know, that step before the step where we fully concede to our innermost selves that we're alcoholic. I made that, I I understood that clearly without any denial, at least five years before I found Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew it was killing me. I tried to stop over and over and over again. I'd give it to my friends. I'd move. I'd change girlfriends. I'd flush it down the toilet. You name it. I was doing anything that I could in my power to distance myself from it. Sometimes I'd go five days, man. Sometimes it'd be five minutes, you know. And I, and I'm and I'm loaded again, scratching my head, going, "What the fuck? You know, why can't I shake this?" And um, I finally figured out that, or my logic was that. God made me this way and this is what it's going to be like. You know, this is it. This is as good as it gets. And I'm going to die like this. You know, I, uh, I just, and I made peace with it. You know, I was like, that's what it's going to be like. I was probably about 20 years old, still living at mom's house, going from job to job to job. And, um, so my mom went and screwed up and got sober. I didn't know she was an alcoholic, but uh, she was trying to get the town drunk sober. Taking him to meetings, picked out a sponsor, gave him a big book. And um, while she was doing that, she caught alcoholism. You know, she uh, <laughs> he didn't stay sober, but she did. And um, and so, you know, that really screws up your drinking when you're sponging a place to live off your mom and you're an adult. You know, and she gets sober, and all of a sudden she's home every night after work you know, we're at the table having dinner. Hey Frank, you got a job yet? Hey Frank, why are your eyes all red? Hey Frank, did you go to sleep last night? Hey Frank, you know, and I'm like, fuck, who is this lady? And what'd you do with my mom? You know? And um, so it started coming on that, you know, I know what you're doing and it needs to stop. You know, you can't live like that in my house. And I told her, well, you know what, if you can't handle your drinking, that's your problem. You know, I'm fine, you know, living in her house not paying rent, getting fired from every job that I get because it just doesn't fit around my drinking and using, you know, it doesn't work. I, I need to be able to disappear for three days and come back when I'm good and ready, you know, and, and they don't seem to understand that. So, uh, she just, she said, look, kid, I love you, but if you're not going to follow my rules, you got to go. And I said, okay, sure. I'll, I'll move out. You know, she said, you got 30 days. So, uh, and she had let me off of so much shit, man. I mean, my mom coddled me for so long. I knew she wasn't kicking me out. You know, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. So about two weeks two weeks into it, right, I'm like walking through the kitchen, and my mom goes, how you doing? I go, good. She goes, you need some boxes? And I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is real. I'm out of here, you know. And, man, I I thanked her probably 100 times for that because I crashed and burned with a – Quickness, man. It was like it was. I didn't realize how much help I was getting from her until I was out on my own. I mean, it, it was yeah. It was over and it ended quick. And um, so I uh, ended up in jail one more time. I was doing a bunch of like little county shit, like weekends and a couple weeks at a time and stuff like that. But finally ended up in there for a decent 90 day stretch, and I had a felony and some misdemeanors, and it was not good. You know, there was they were talking about. Um, You know, next time it's going to be prison and I'm sitting in the dorm and I'm talking to these dudes and they're saying, you know what, man, you need to, you need to, you need to get uh, a, can't think of the word when you get in trouble there, infracted. And uh, you need to go up to state because county sucks, the food sucks, you can't get a conjugal visit, you can't smoke here, you get a radio there and it's like more freedom. And so I'm listening to these guys, you know, and they're telling me it's way better in prison. You just need to do these things. Okay. Okay. All right and and I understand it and I get it right and I'm thinking that that's really all that I got coming because of the way shit's been going in my life and then I got my mom on the phone who I'm calling collect you know every couple nights and she's telling me alcoholics anonymous will save you and it's if you know freedom happiness joy no drinking no drugs you know and I'm like I can't even imagine that I I see th- it's a fantasy. You know, I mean, <laughs> what she's talking about for a person like me is impossible, you know, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do. And, um, so thank God, uh, that part of my sentence was a recovery home and, uh, they shipped me off to Benny McEwen's, uh, when I got home. Um, so when I got out of jail, I had the, this great plan. I'd go to meetings and then I hang out with all my old party buddies afterwards and I was, like, scoring dope and to being a designated driver, and everything was cool because they totally respected me. And um, thank God, like I said, my PO stuck me in a recovery home and got me out of that because I was going to go out. I was definitely going to go out, you know. Um, so I'm up at this recovery home, and um, uh, this place actually exists in a way that you have to walk both uphill both ways to get to it. It's a trip. And I thought it was – I didn't think that was true, but this is – This Benny McEwen's exists like this. And they got this van that they could drive you up and down the hill if they wanted to. But no, you walk two miles to the bus stop, you know. And uh, so, of course, I'm pissing and moaning and groaning about that. And um, I was not really happy about being in this recovery home. Um, I was convinced that I was not an alcoholic. I was convinced that AA wouldn't work for me. Um, I had this image in my head, you know, the, the, the wino you know, with the 2020 in a bag and, uh, you know, or just, you know, hanging out, sleeping on the bench at the park. And I just, I wasn't, that wasn't me. And um, listening to these guys tell their stories at meetings about this, like miraculous transformation. uh, It just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I really just couldn't believe it. And I really was convinced that AA wasn't going to work for me. And I'm fucking nervous for some reason. Um, So uh, I go up to Benny's and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to get all these people off my back. Um, I remember uh, that there was a meeting in Melpitas I went to. They used to read the chapter three. And there's a part in there that says, uh, if you can turn around and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to you. And I knew that was me. You know, I was going to be like, watch me so I went up to this recovery home. It was extremely, very, very strict place. I mean, you stepped out of line, you were on the curb and uh, which is exactly what a drunk like me needs. So, um, I go up there and I'm thinking, okay, I'll do everything. These guys tell me what to do. I'll show them that it doesn't work. Hat tip. I'm out. So I go up there and they'd say, okay, Frank, you got to, uh, stay clean and sober. Got to get a job. Got to go to meetings. Got to get a sponsor. Got to work the steps. Got to be involved in some kind of service. And you gotta. We had a thing called Wind Down, which is basically prayer meditation. Step ten. So there's all these things you gotta do. There's another another list of things I have to do, but they're all basically the program, right? If you go to the right meetings, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm doing all this shit, believing in my mind that it will not work, right? It this has no power, right? It's not going to do anything. And so I'm just going through the motions, acting as if I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I don't understand what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it. And uh, one day I'm walking up that hill, man, and I'm in the sun's beating down on me and I'm frustrated. I'm thinking about that fucking van that could be driving me up. And I'm just, you know, I'm not looking forward to the personalities. When I get there, it's a co-ed place, you know, it gets dramatic. And, and uh, I'm just not, I'm just not I'm not happy, you know, I'm not happy. And uh, as I walk through the, as I walk into this, this uh, huge oak tree that casts a shadow on the left side of the road as you make that first turn. And as I walked into the shade of that tree, I felt the relief, you know, I was out of the sun. It felt good and, um, and I acknowledged it. And, uh, and then uh, as I was walking out of the shade into the sun again, instead of, instead of getting irritated again, instead of getting upset and frustrated, I looked up the road and I saw another shaded area and I knew when I got to that shade I'd have that relief again. And um, I knew right away that it was like, hey, I just had a positive thought, you know? And then the way that my head works, I'm a very logical, kind of connect the dots person and I'm like, when's the last time I had a positive thought? And I've heard a lot of positive things, I've been moved by positive things, but when did I have one? And I could not recall. I was 25 years old, by the way, and I could not recall ever. And so I said, okay, so why? What's different, you know? I'm clean, I'm sober, I'm going to meetings, I'm working the steps, I got a sponsor, I'm in the book, I'm in service, you know, prayer, meditation. I'm like, son of a bitch, this thing is working. Like, it's, I'm like, damn, you know? Which is much better than having a hat tipped you, believe me. Um, So I, I, I was, I couldn't believe it. You know, it hit me so hard, it was like, I believe that this will not work and it does. That's powerful. It's one thing to believe that it's going to do it and have it work, but to not have to believe or accept or or anything. And then it changes me, man. I, I, I had hope for the first time in my life, you know, and I wanted to die before that. I really did, you know, and not just hope I had faith because I, I finally had something to believe in, you know, the AA program could, make my life better, you know, and, um, it wasn't a huge change, but it was, it was definitely, it was my white light. You know, it was, it was a, 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 a big thing for me after that day, I threw myself headfirst into AA, man, you could have told me to do anything that it would keep me sober and I would have done it. No questions asked. I mean, I, I was a freaking sponsor's wet dream, man. I mean, read this book. I read that book, you know, do this thing. I did that thing because I wanted more, you know, I wanted, I wanted more. So I left that recovery home with that fire. Um, I stayed there for six months. I left that recovery home with that fire still. I basically took that plan. I just rinsed and repeated, you know, I just kept doing it. I've been doing it for 30 years. You know, it's just, it's, 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 there's nothing new that I've added. Um, it's that same thing. I just keep on doing it. Um, I sponsor other men. I'm involved in service. Uh, I attend meetings. I do retreats. Um, you know, I'm happily married to a woman that's in the program. And, uh, you know, I, there are a lot of things that, so there's some kind of special things that have happened in my recovery that uh, I would have completely missed out on if I relied on my logic. And, um, and I have a problem with that. I don't know if other guys here have a problem with that, but I, I have a very strong, like logical mind and man, you want to talk about, Missing out on God's miracles. This the logic in here it takes me away from it every time. It's like, but that doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? I don't understand that. You know that that kind of shit was, which is the same reason I didn't believe that AA wasn't going to work for me because it didn't logic out. It didn't make sense. You know, because it's a spiritual program. It's not a logical program. And so to prove it, I wanted to share some stories with you guys um, of. Very, very important, significant things that happened in my life and other people's life that if I would have relied on my logic, if I didn't follow God's plan, if I didn't pray and listen and take direction, I would have completely missed out on, I would have completely missed out on them. So, um, <clears throat> one was, uh, that guy, my mom tried to get sober, Kenny. So he was, I'm serious. This dude was the Milpitas town drunk. Like this guy would pass out at stoplights and shit, you know, and I'd be driving by and they'd say, Hey, you're not your stepdad, man. I'm, yeah. No, and uh, so this dude fell asleep and dropped a cigarette butt in the couch at my house when I was a kid, and uh, I was probably a teenager. And um, so he, and then so my sister wakes me up. The house is on fire, you know, smoke's everywhere. So we get everybody out of the house and we're out on the uh, lawn, and I'm dragging out the couch that's on fire. And uh, my mom goes, "Where's Kenny?" I say, "Fuck Kenny," you know, he's probably the one that caught the couch on fire. And she goes. Frank, go get Kenny. And so I go back in the house and uh, I find him. And this guy is laying on his back with his freaking robe open, you know, butt ass naked with a smile on his face. And I'm just like, son of a bitch, man. So I fire him and carry him out. I throw him down on the lawn, you know, and it gets a nice thud. And, uh, my mom's like Frank and, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of fast forward, I lose track of this guy. He never gets sober. My mom does. And, uh, about, uh, so I get sober when I'm 25. My sponsor goes to this retreat every year in San Juan Batista. And um, he's like, you got to start coming to this retreat. And my logic kicks in. doesn't make sense. I don't like retreats. He's, you haven't been to one. You got to go. And I'm like, by this time, you know, I know I just need to do what my sponsor tells me. And he's a big ass scary dude too. So I got to yeah. do it anyway. So I go to the retreat. <sighs> Same attitude, man. This doesn't make sense. I don't like this. I don't like the retreat. I don't like the setting. The freaking retreat master sucks. There's no message, you know, just that's where my head is. But I know in my heart that I need to be there. So whatever it is that's supposed to happen, I will let it happen. I'll just keep coming until it does, you know, and so for four or five years go by and, uh, and it's just not happening. I'm not, it's not happening. It's not happening. And, um, one year I show up and, uh, They screwed up my bed, and so I don't have a place to sleep. And they're like, uh, this is probably 10 years later. And um, I tell them, hey, I don't got a bed. No, just go find one, Frank. Don't worry about it. So I walk around. I'm looking. I'm looking. Find a bed that's undisturbed. Put my stuff down. Go to the first group. And um, I come back after the group. I walk into that room, and the dude sitting down near the bed is Kenny. Kenny with with 60 days sober. Yeah. And I'm like. Kenny, and he goes, Frank, and then he goes, don't hit me, man, don't hit me, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, holy shit, dude, and, uh, so I, I didn't know he was only 60, 90 days, whatever it was, but we spent the whole retreat together, and, um, of course, I forgave him, you know, I mean, I, I felt for him, man, he's, (laughs) he's a drunk like me, I totally get it now, right, and, uh, so we spent the whole retreat together. We caught up. I mean, uh, he'd been struggling for a long, long time. That guy had been struggling for a long, long time. And, uh, and I prayed for him, and we, we really got to be able to connect. And um, uh, he but the last day when I left, he said, hey man, could you do me a favor and give this card to your mom? I said, yeah, sure. So I took it home and told her the story. She's like, no shit, I'm glad he's sober, you know? And um, a few days later, she tells me, son of a bitch, that card was an amends, you know, Kenny made an amends to me. And, uh, you know, when you see him next year, please tell him that I forgive him that. And I'm just really happy that he's sober and that's all I ever wanted for him. And uh, you got it, mom. And, um, before I could get to that retreat, uh, my mom passed away. So, um, the woman that got me sober, you know, that she's the one that drug me out of the fire. And, um, but I got back to the retreat. Kenny was there again and we roomed on purpose that next year, you know, and uh, he said, hey, man, did she get the card? And I go, yeah, she got it. And she, t- I told him, you know, what she said. And he got a big smile on his face. And we hugged. And then I told him, but I want you to know that she passed away. You know, she had a massive heart attack. And she's no longer with us. And, you know, he cried a bit. But um, I got to be part of that, you know. If I would have fucking brushed my sponsor off and told him, I don't like this retreat. I tried it for a couple of years. I don't want to do it anymore. I would have never got that bed with Kenny, you know. If I would have got frustrated about my room and insisted on the number that I registered under, I wouldn't have got to meet Kenny like that. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of things that if when I just relax, man, and just let God do with me what he needs to, I get to be part of these things. You know, my logic will never take me in these directions. It never has. And I don't think it ever will. You know, so I've learned to listen, you know, to listen and, and, and let myself be guided and not to let my logic override that, you know, it does not work all the time. I, I really, really like my logic. It makes me feel happy and comfy and, you know, and less fear and all that shit, but, but it never uh, gives me anything that I need. And you know what it does? It doesn't give other people what they need, you know, and, and I, and I'm really grateful to be to be part of that, you know, um, I'm really grateful to be part of that. Um, I think I have a, I think I have some more time for one more. So, um, so, uh, well, oh, by the way, I lost track of Kenny. <laughs> I hope he's still sober, but he stopped coming to the retreat and, but I think hopefully that he's okay. Um, all right. So that last time I went to jail, um, I'm standing in front of a judge, and. Uh, so he sentenced me to 90 days, puts me on probation, all that stuff, right? And then uh, while I'm in jail, I just uh, I find out that they have a high school uh, – you can get your high school diploma. They have a high school diploma program. Anything to get me out of that freaking dorm, I'll do, right? So I go – I'm working on my high school credits. And um, uh, when I'm getting ready to get released, they tell me, hey, you can transfer these to the Melpitas Adult Ed, which was right down the street from my mom's place where I figured I'd be staying – so, uh, got out of jail, kept that going, got my high school diploma. And my teacher at the time knew that I was in the program. So she goes, uh, you know what you should do, you know, it'd be cool. Would you like to speak at the graduation? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, would you like to speak at the graduation? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. So, um, another example of just doing what I'm told. Right. And, uh, so I go, yeah, yeah, she talks me into it. I write a speech and she goes, you know, it'd be great is if you had that judge come, the judge that sentenced you, you should have him come and be like the keynote speaker and you could introduce him. And I'm like, I, I don't like judges. Why don't, especially one that sentenced me. Why would I bring a judge that sentenced me to, you know, and then my brain's like, I think you just need to do this, you know, just so fine. I write the guy and I'm thinking he's not going to come writes me back a letter and tells me, congratulations, you are a productive member of society. I'm so proud of you. I think this is a wonderful accomplishment. Congratulations on graduating. I would love to speak there. Fuck. You know? (laughs) Man, what the fuck? So I tell my teacher, and she's like, yay! And I'm like, yay, you know? So I get so, so we plan it out. I'm writing my speech, I get so freaking ill from stressed out from being stressed out that I'm sick the day of, you know. Kind of like what I'm kind of like what I did right now today. And um so he gets up there so I introduce him and he gets up there and he introduces the beginning of proposition 36. He basically is talking about these plans that they have to put something in place to help us divert us if if we're willing from jail to treatment temporarily to see if we might get clean and sober. And he's talking about the frame, the basic framework of it and what they've been working on and all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, holy shit. And then as he's done, and then he mentions me while he's talking about it. And then I go oh, f- now, I'm outed. Right. Like they know and I am some kind of, you know, drug addict, alcoholic or whatever. And um, so he finishes, he sits down and, and we've, we, and we tell each other, we'll stay in touch. So we exchange numbers and then every now and then we, you know, well, uh, I'll send him a letter usually, change jobs, got a promotion. I'm still sober, big milestones or whatever. And, uh, one day I get a phone call at my desk and I was eight. So it's my eight, eighth, uh, AA birthday. And, um, I don't recognize this person, but he goes, happy birthday, Frank. And I'm like, uh, thank you. And he goes, uh, you don't know who this is, do you? And I go, no, but I know you know who I am. <laughs> if you're calling me today and he goes, uh, I think I can say his name. Uh, yeah, he's cool. Uh, uh, this is Judge Terry. And uh, I just wanted to call and tell you happy birthday, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. I had to think, Mike, if it was okay. <laughs> um, and he goes, uh, congrats, congratulations. I want you to come down to court and see what we're doing down here. It's pretty it's pretty awesome. And I go, all right, cool, I'll, I'll come down. And uh, a few weeks later, I finally get a chance. I roll down to Terrain Drive where they have drug court I sit on one of, I sit on, on one of his sessions, and I, and I pass the bailiff a note to let him know I'm there. And um, a guy stands up that they're going to remand because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. The guy's standing up, and, and the judge goes, uh, you know, I gave you a chance, and you screwed up, so we're going to remand you, but, you know, real quick, is Frank Delgado still here? And I'm like, oh, what the hell? So I stand up, and I happen to be standing right across from this kid right? I'm in the other section right across the aisle from him. So the kid's looking at me and he starts talking about how Frank Delgado came to me just like you came to me, you know, so many years ago, but he decided to do what he was told and suggested and yada, 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 talking about my career, my sobriety and how involved I am in AA. He said, I hope that when you get out and you come back through here, that you take this seriously next time and you can have you know, what this man has, maybe more. And yeah, and um so that that was over. I felt like terrible for that guy, but but um uh, but I get it. I get it. I was that guy. And um so uh we so he we're all done, everybody leaves and he goes, Come on back, man and I'm like, like back there? And he goes, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like to the chambers and he saw he's all Yeah, come on. I go, Fuck, this is cool. I'm only going that way, right? <laughs> now I'm going that way. <laughs> so uh, he goes. Uh, so we walk back to his chambers, and um, and he goes. Uh, so we talk about what happened in court, and it's really it's really cool. It's a really great thing that they're doing. And and uh, he goes, you know, I I got something for you. And so this judge will give you a chip if you make a milestone, and you're in the Prop 36 program. He'll give you a chip. And I so I thought that's what he was going to do. Give me one to, one of those chips. And he opens up his desk, and he pulls out a gold and silver eight year chip. And I go, wow, like he got me a. Chip, just for me. Right. And as he's putting it into my hand, he says, uh, my sponsor gave me this when I turned eight oh. and I want, Yeah. God damn you, Richard. <laughs> I was going to muscle through that. Uh, but yeah, that's what i that's what happened, dude. I just, I, I, I tried to back away. I was like, no, dude, that's, I mean, it's cool. And he goes, no, no, come, I, dude, I'm really, really proud of you, kid. I really am. And I I want you to have this. And he sticks it in my hand, you know, and I'm just like, fuck, I don't deserve this. You know, it's just everything in my being is like, I, you know, I don't deserve this. But here this man is telling me you do, you know, you do. And uh, we're walking out of that courthouse and um, he puts his arm around me as we're walking out. And he goes, uh, you ever going to make an honest woman out of Linda? And I go, uh, yeah, 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 we're going to get married. Yeah, we want to get married. And he goes, well, you know, I am a judge.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm like, wow.
0: <laughs>
1: so it hits me. It's like, the, so the guy that puts me in jail is going to marry. Wow. that I go, uh, wow, man. The, uh, let me talk to Linda about it. Let me talk to Linda about it. So we talk about it. She goes, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, I mean, you know, I, I would have missed out. So here we're standing up there in front of all our friends and family. And here is this judge that I have stood before, right? Getting sent. Thank you. Getting sentenced to 90 days in jail, telling me you come back here again, you're going to prison. And now he is just joining me in marriage with this woman that I love and witnessing a life that is just a miracle to me, you know, and um, and getting to be part of that, you know. And he was expressing to me over and over again how grateful he was to be part of it. And, um, and uh, that the fact that he gets to see that kind of full circle, right? He got to see me at my worst, and he's getting to see me when I'm in a better place. And um, I could have missed out on that if I would have resisted the instructions from the people in jail, my teacher, my logic, you know, um, and uh, I'll be forever grateful for that. I mean, we're still in touch. I love that man. And, um, and uh, I love that I was uh, able to be part of that. So uh, I think that's it. I've been yammering for 30 minutes. I just really wanted to share those stories with you guys because um, I truly believe that we are part of something much bigger if we let it happen if we let it happen, if we don't try to reason this shit out or try to make it logic, logically fit, um, we are part of something bigger. And and yeah, like I say, if we just let it happen, I think um, there's just a lot of miracles that we can be part of. And I'm truly grateful for being able to be part of that. So thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you're interested in other speaker tapes or CDs from AA or Al-Anon, please contact us at Sound Solutions, toll free, 1-877-893-2777. Or visit us on the web at soundsolutionsrecording.com. We are also available to cover your recording and sound system needs. Thank you for allowing us to be of service and carrying the message.